Socks on 35th is next. Doors open on the left. How's it going, everybody? And welcome back to the Socks on 35th podcast. This is Duke Coughlin. So this episode is going to be formatted just a little bit differently than all the ones that we've had in the past. This is actually going to be from our live stream that we had over on Twitter the other day. For anybody who's not familiar with it, there's a program called Spaces, and uh, it gives the unique opportunity to have a live stream with not only our contributors, but also the fans to be able to listen live as we have our discussion. It's a little bit more of an open forum, if you will. Um, and we kind of just discussed everything that's been going on in the offseason so far. Our fans certainly showed up for this space, and I hope uh, that continues to be a trend. It was a lot of fun getting to talk to a lot of you directly about the Chicago White Sox. I know I enjoyed it. I know Jordan enjoyed it. I know our contributors enjoyed it. It was a great time. As always, before we pop in, just be sure to subscribe to the podcast, Spotify, iTunes, wherever you get your podcast. Be sure to give us a rating as well. That goes a long way. We very much do appreciate that. Also, be sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram at on 35th Without further ado, we're just going to jump right into it. This is the first official Socks on 35th Twitter space. This is Duke Coffin with Socks on 35th. Glad to see a lot of people joining in here. Um, obviously, a lot of things have been going on with the Chicago White Sox. So um, me and a lot of our Socks on 35th contributors, Jordan Lazowski, Michael Suero, Noel Phelan, going to be joining the conversation here as well um we will get to fan questions eventually but we have quite a bit to cover um just to have an open discussion here obviously chris gets talked to the media today it's been a polarizing couple days for the chicago white Sox. um you know when you look at the coaching staff you look at different things that happen with that that'll definitely be discussed obviously chris gets really likes going for the former players considering you know grady sizemore former five tool player with our rival Cleveland team, but honestly, really like that move, but we'll discuss it a little bit more. And of course, the most polarizing topic of all, you know, we've all seen it, we've all talked about it, we've all had our takes on it. The team declined both the options on Tim Anderson and Liam Hendricks. Jordan, I know you have quite a few thoughts on this. Uh, why don't you just go ahead and get the conversation started for us, buddy? Yeah, well, first of all, thank you everyone for joining. Uh, look forward to some of your fan questions later on too, so make sure to stick around for that. When it comes to the Anderson and Hendricks decisions, I, I think the biggest thing is trying to figure out for Chris Getz, is he planning to spend money at all this offseason or not? They opened up $29 million. They could potentially start spending there. I think when you get into the X's and O's of it, I think Hendricks is a little bit more straightforward. You know, He wasn't going to pitch for most of the season. If you're going to have to pay him anyway, might as well do it a little bit at a time so that you have more to spend this year, in theory. For Anderson, I think it's a little less straightforward for a lot of fans. For me, the reality is that Tim Anderson, we've come to know over the past five, six, seven years he's been with the team, isn't the same Tim Anderson we've seen the past couple of years. Not just with the injuries, but with an approach that he stopped putting the ball over the fence. And when you're someone who doesn't walk a ton or doesn't play great defense as a shortstop, you were okay with it because he was hitting 300, but also slugging nearly 500 or higher. When that stopped, he became a little bit more of a single sitter. For me, that's a little bit harder to stomach. I agree with both decisions personally. I know a lot of Sox fans don't feel that way. It doesn't take away from all that both Hendricks and Anderson have done for the White Sox. 
But for me, I think it, it ends up being the correct move personally. And sometimes the unpopular move among people in the fan base is the correct move. You know, obviously with the Liam Hendricks situation, um, with everything he's overcome in the last year, tough pill to swallow in that sense. But obviously with him having Tommy John, that's pretty rough. Yeah, I mean, I think you both kind of hit it on the head with Hendricks, you know, just with him missing most of the year, as much as it sucks, it just didn't really make much sense to bring him back uh, for the 2024 season. Obviously, wishing him the best of luck in his recovery. I know he's just battled through so much this season. It really, it's gut-wrenching to see him go through all that and to not see him back on this team next year. But unfortunately, that is the the right move to make at this point. Um, With T.A., I was a bit more upset about it initially um, just because like in my mind, just watching T.A. for these past few seasons, it was hard for me to come to grips with the fact that he's a guy that wasn't worth bringing back at 14 million, which I mean, it's a lot of money, but for a a good starting shortstop, it's really not that much. And for me, I was and maybe I was just being a homer, but I thought that he had more trade value than that. However, I'm sure that's something that was you know, taken into consideration with this front office, you know, they, they just went through the similar situation a couple of years ago with picking up Kimbrell's option just to trade him later in the off season. So I'm sure that's a consideration they had with TA in the long run. It is probably the right move to make. And being the prospect guy for Sox on 35th, I do have to bring it up. I think the White Sox know that they have their long-term shortstop waiting in the wings, going to be ready sometime in 2024 in Colson Montgomery. I mean, just he, he's been on fire in uh, Arizona lately. He was the Arizona Fall League All-Star Game MVP, hitting a 400-plus foot home run there. He had a solid stint there overall, and he, he had a really good second half of the 2023 minor league season. Obviously, missed some time to start, but I think that part of what went into this decision was how high they are on Colson Montgomery and knowing that he is more than likely going to be ready at some point in 2024. You know, I would almost dare to say that the White Sox are maybe letting Tim test the market to really see what he can get. And obviously, if he can get higher, if not equal to what he would have got with his option, obviously, then they feel they made the right move. You know, I agree with the Colson Montgomery point, obviously, you know, because Colson Montgomery, like you said, has just been on absolute fire. That home run was a bomb. It was an incredible shot. If anyone saw the video of it, I'm sure all of White Sox Twitter has. But it's really tough when you just stop and think about where Tim started with this team to where he got. Kind of was a polarizing figure in, in all of baseball, which was really cool to see because he was like either you, you love him or you hate him. There was really no in between. My only thought would be trade value if we did take on that option about potentially letting him kind of take off in the first half and potentially moving him at the deadline, especially because you don't really want to rush Colson Montgomery. And with Colson's comments that he made earlier in the week, it sounds like that the plan really isn't to rush him too soon, but a hard time to really hold off if, if he just comes in spring training, just absolutely rocking it. Ultimately, I mean, Sox fans have been calling for change. We've been calling for change for two years now, but especially this past year. And say what you want about Tim Anderson, but this is representative of change. And this is this is showing me that Chris Getz is willing to make these hard decisions if it means potentially changing something that didn't work. So my biggest concern with not bringing back Anderson is I'm looking at the free agent class and none of those names really are super impressive to me at all. And Tim Anderson was bad this this past year. There's no denying that. And he wasn't great when he played in 
2022 either, but I, I'm I'm a little bit concerned. Um, I think there's a little bit more in the tank than what we saw from Tim Anderson the past couple of years. I, I don't think at 30 years old we can necessarily say, you know, he's done, he's past his prime. I think he's got more than what he showed us. And my initial thoughts were that taking a chance on him giving us a little bit more is better than any of these other options, but evidently Chris Getz did not feel that way. So we will uh, we'll see what happens. I think the big thing for me is the idea. We all just kind of said the same thing in different ways. Like, you know, part of this was Colson Montgomery being part of the future sooner rather than later. So for me, I hear that. And I'm like, what does it matter who plays shortstop next year? They're just a stopgap anyway. I'm just going to go on the free agent market, look for the best shortstop in terms of defense metrics, based on what Getz has been saying, and go from there, personally. For me... That has not been a concern of, you know, oh, who's going to play shorts for the White Sox in 2024? It doesn't really matter. This seems not going to be good. I think we've all accepted that. I think even some of what Getz said today leads me to believe he's probably more accepting of that. But if you know you're just bridging the gap for someone maybe to come up second half of this year or at the very latest early 2025, just put whoever you want there that can play decent defense and help out your pitching staff. As long as there's someone with a little bit higher defensive upside than Anderson at second, I think that's fine enough for me. I, there's a lot of talk about the bounce back, and I get that, but it, it's all stemming from an approach we haven't seen from Anderson in two years. And it, it's not just injuries, not injuries, whatever. The approach of being a single sitter the other way. That, that's fun to watch. It's fun when he beats guys on certain pitches, but you factor the defense on top of that, it's like, well, well, as a single sitter, it doesn't really play great defense enough to justify a $14 million contract. For me, it, it didn't end up like that. And I think so the outside concerns were a little bit less of a concern for me because they do probably have their long-term answer. It's just finding someone to bridge that gap is what it becomes. I, I It's hard for me to disagree really with any of that. Um, I think after this season and even really going into the season, I think a lot of doubt crept in to a lot of White Sox fans' minds about the long-term viability of Tim Anderson on this team. I think Chris Getz made actually a really interesting comment in his initial presser when asked about Tim Anderson and, you know, brought up how much he respects the guy and how much, like, how it would be a discussion about how that option would end up going. So I almost wonder if it was a mutual thing. Obviously, a team isn't going to release something like that because they want the idea of, the team made that decision. You know, there wasn't any like Tim doesn't want to be in Chicago anymore type deal. It, it's it, I was I already kind of accepted this happened before it happened. Yeah, I was already kind of prepared for it, and I think a lot of other White Sox fans were too. But um, obviously, a a tough way to end such a promising run that we were hopefully going to have. And obviously, Tim looked like he was going to be the guy that was going to be able to spearhead it. But moving forward a little bit, Chris Getz bringing in some new coaches. You know, like you said, Noah, there's going to be a lot of uh, a lot of turnover, a lot of change of the culture, and I think that's uh, really what we're getting with some of these new coaches. Obviously, I brought up Grady Sizemore working with the outfield, uh, working with base running. They they kind of listed him as a major league coach, which is interesting to me. I almost wonder how much involved he's going to be in other aspects, uh, whether he's helping with the hitting coaching or anything like that. Because you know, Grady was a five tool player; he was a legitimate player, and unfortunately got derailed due to injuries. Um, we also hired Marcus Thames. He has history with the Angels and the Yankees. He has shown that he can, you know, help turn around 
some teams, you know, even the Angels hitting for the monumental drop-off in the second half did improve. So I think that's a promising hire. I think he has more of a resume than what we're normally used to. Jordan, I'll go ahead and bounce this right back to you. What do you think of these hires initially? Um, do you think there's more turnover to come? And um, what are your general thoughts, bud? I'm intrigued by what they've done this entire offseason. I think people have started pointing it out. Pretty much every single hire has come from somebody with, we'll say on the younger side, in their early 40s, that played Major League Baseball fairly recently. I think that's a really interesting strategy. That That, that is a true strategy for building a, a staff. And I think usually you have some... Even if you look at the last White Sox staff, there's some old school, there's some new school, there's a little bit of everything. This is a little bit more straightforward in terms of just, hey, we are going with this specific demographic. There's a lot of connections between Getz and some of the guys he played with um, or played around the same time as. And I think a lot of that speaks to the general philosophies they might hold together. I think it's an intriguing way to go about it. I think it's a very clear direction. I think it's pretty different than what we've seen with the recent staffs it just has to work at this point right like it's great to have an idea it's great to be interesting and different and have a strategy it's another thing to make it work my hesitation is always you know are these players going to try and coach the way they believe the game was played even just 10 years ago when they were playing if that's your plan then it's probably not going to work. Like The game has changed even in just the past decade. But if you are adapting to the game as it's changing, and I think Tim's having a uh, hitting coach job for the past five seasons now, even though it's been a little bit of change for him, is a good example of a guy that has that experience, has clearly adapted enough to have teams continue to hire him. I'm optimistic because of the strategy behind it and how clear-cut the strategy is. Like, there, there's no, like, oh, everybody fits this except, like, three or four guys. No, truly, everyone they hired, except for Watson, but that's just completely different. Everyone else has really fit that demographic. I think that's really interesting. Well, I think my favorite part of these hires, honestly, is when you look at the coaching staff, there's, like, no White Sox lifer no longer, you know, in the coaching staff anymore. We don't have, like, that Don Cooper just kind of hanging around. And uh, that's really nice to see, you know, as much as uh, we've all been critical of a guy like Pedro Grafal, it's nice to see that he's getting fresh faces compared to really what we've gotten over the last 20 years, you know, or really as long as Jerry Reinsdorf has owned the team, there's always been like the old boy that's been hanging around. So it's nice to kind of clean house in a sense. Obviously, everybody wants us to clean house at the top with the manager, but it's nice clean house across the board. It's kind of uh, shows a willingness for change. And, you know, I think change needs to kind of be the biggest term as far as the White Sox go. Michael, how do you feel? How do you feel about change? Are you accepting of change or do you want Don Cooper to return? Absolutely not. Um, no, I am uh, very happy about getting some change into this staff as a whole. I mean, we've seen it with the front office. Now we're seeing it with the coaching staff. Um, I just think getting some fresh faces here is just it is like a breath of fresh air because that's just not how this organization's operated for a long time uh so i am really excited to see um how this team operates under this coaching staff now at 
some point, you know, and I know Jordan's harped on this on Twitter as well, but at some point it is on the players. You know, the players have to play and the coaching staff can only do so much. But getting in some, you know, new ideas here and some new philosophies, I think, is just a big step in the right direction for this organization. Um, also, just one other thing that I noticed with this coaching staff that just kind of stuck out to me was uh, moving Mike Tosar over to assistant hitting coach. Um, I know last year it when it was initially reported that Tosar was going to be joining Grafal staff, some people had speculated that he was going to be the hitting coach uh, for his staff. And then they kind of made him uh, was a field coordinator role where he kind of had his hand in a bunch of different areas. So I thought it was interesting that they're really keeping him in a more uh, hitting role with this, uh, with this coaching staff. I know back in this time with the Royals, guys like Salvador Perez and Jorge Soler credited him a lot for some of their um, biggest breakout seasons, especially, you know, Sol Soler's monster home run season. So I am curious to see, um, you know, him step in, you know, get a bit more involved in um, the, the hitting role with this uh, coaching staff. So that was just one thing that kind of stuck out to me. But overall, I... You know, we'll we'll see if the coaching staff works out, but I'm just happy that you know, like Ben harping on that this is it's a step in the right direction. It's changing the organization, and who knows if it's actually going to work out. But at least they're trying something new this time around. Yeah, I mean, if Chris Getz continues clean house like that, I uh, I might just have to refer to him as Mister Clean because he gets it done. Yeah, I know the dead silence, terrible joke. Nobody. Yeah, I I wasn't giving you anything from that. You can. You can live with sitting in that joke for a couple seconds. Yeah, that's okay, dude. <laughs> I mean, my philosophy with the coaches is the same that my philosophy was with Chris Getz, which is I'm not going to call them failures before they've had the chance to fail. I'm not going to call Chris Getz a failure before he's had the chance to fail. Maybe it's not the organizations we wanted to hire from. Maybe, you know, if we were in control we would have targeted different people for the coaching openings that we can acknowledge that, but I don't really care too much about which organizations they came from, because I think it's more about coaching philosophy than it is, you know, Oh, this guy came from the angels. The angels haven't made the playoffs in eight years. So he's obviously, you know, not worth anything. And to Jordan's point, and I know Michael touched on it too. I think that people overvalue how much coaches actually do. I mean, having good coaches is great, but ultimately not all players are going to be fixed and coaches are not going to create this magical turnaround in the organization. So until the White Sox reassess the players in their organization, I don't, I'm not super concerned about which coaches they're hiring. And I think at this point, any change is a good change because what we had last year was a complete dumpster fire. So, you know, five new coaches to me is five new people that maybe aren't as much of a dumpster fire as the last group of people. So I'm okay with it. Okay, so I'm glad you mentioned it, Noah, because this has been bothering me for a couple of days, and I knew leading up to this space I was going to have more room than the 250 characters they give me on Twitter. I do not get why everyone looks at the... I, I do, but I don't. Why everyone looks at the team the coach came from when we're evaluating... The, the the whether or not it's a good coach we the, the the white Sox last major hire at the end of last season was the braves assistant hitting coach and that worked out really well despite the fact the braves just 
destroyed every offensive metric this year. Like, where they come from does not matter. Good coaches can come from bad teams, and bad coaches can come from good teams. It's about the philosophy, how they connect, how they get their vision across, and whether or not it works. You can have guys that just don't respond to your coaching philosophies, and that's going to happen. Some guys aren't going to jive with you, some are. But overall, everyone has to, for the most part, be pulling in the same direction. The fascination of, like, the the board, like, I tweeted out, like, the board of, like, this guy's connected to the Royals by this because he played 30 games for them in AAA 17 years ago. I'm like, are you kidding me? It it, it doesn't matter that much. Like, the, the fact that Paul Yanish was in the Royals organization for 30 games in 2014 is not the reason he was hired, folks. I, I hate to break it to you if that's how you think they're operating. It's not. And I, I think some of these hires that were announced today take that a step further and say, yeah, that it's a load of crap, essentially. It doesn't matter. Yeah, there are going to be some connections, obviously. You hired a manager from the Royals. When you bring in guys that he's going to enjoy, of course they're going to come from the Royals. That's the only team he's known. Maybe it's because I've started coaching and I feel like you see certain things or you think certain ways, even in small ways, it's a high school coach compared to a major league coach. But the philosophies matter way more than the name of the team you came from. The obsession with, oh, the Chicago, Los Angeles Royals. It doesn't matter. The Royals just cleaned house, or excuse me, the, the Angels just cleaned house. So, of course, there might be some good coaches that come from that step. That's just what's going to happen. That is a big pet peeve of mine has been just the obsession over the Royals connections or who is this guy connected to? Like, of course, you're going to, often hire people you have some sort of connection to. Wouldn't you in that situation? It, it's it's finding the best of both worlds. And that was just one thing that I have not understood personally. I think that people look at the stats from the previous team too much. Like, I'm going to use Menachino as an example, and don't hear me advocating for Frank Menachino because I don't like that guy. But, like, when he was the White Sox hitting coach, people are like, oh, look at the ground ball rate and look at his ground ball rate from the Marlins. It's like, you don't think Frank Menachino is telling his hitters, like, hey, go hit a ground ball. Like, no, nobody in Major League Baseball is telling their team to do that. When Jose Castro came in and the Sox ground ball rate didn't really improve, it's not because he came in and was like, oh, yeah, well, uh, just keep hitting ground balls. That worked for you guys last year. So, like... At some point, you have to say, okay, maybe these players hit too many ground balls. Maybe it doesn't really matter which coach we throw in there. Maybe we need players that hit the ball in the air. So I just I don't understand writing off coaches just because they came from a team that didn't win the World Series last year. So I, there's no reason to hate on these coaches before they've even coached a single game for the White Sox. I mean, obviously, Jordan went on like a 20-minute rant right there. It's obviously something that's uh, been making him lose sleep at night. So I'm glad you got that out, Jordan. You know, if Twitter would just give me more characters to work with, I think we would be fine. We could avoid so much of this if I could tweet with more characters. That's all I'm saying. Well, if you got sleep at night, you would know that it's called X and not Twitter anymore. But congratulations on flight. And it's not changing. It's not changing. No, I'm not calling it X. I think you guys touch on a lot of really good points. But I'm going to kind of throw away a lot of it in one sense because I agree with you that I don't care where a guy's been. I genuinely just care that enough teams have seen this person 
qualifiable to be hired on a major league roster for this long. Obviously, if they've been in the league for a good amount of time, and I'm not saying like everyone who's been in the league for years on years on end is great, but I think that seeing this amount of teams try with these guys shows that there's something to them. Obviously, something connects with the players. It's not just like a one-off situation. It's not just a former player taking a shot at coaching and it ends up not panning out. It shows that they're in tune with the current game. It's just potentially they didn't see the results on the field. And that's why I have a little bit more confidence in hires like this, not saying that they're going to work out, but I think it shows an idea that we're going with more experienced coaches. I I think it's fine to jump around. Like, again, not everybody's philosophy is going to jive with every single player on a team. That's going to happen naturally. I think the point of, you know, are they getting major league jobs elsewhere? That that's a very good point. I, I think the one exception for the White Sox has been Yanish so far, and I think that's an outside the box way of doing things. I think there are a lot of college teams that are far more advanced in terms of some of the things they do than some of the bottom tier major league teams. And that's not an exaggeration. If you ask a lot of people who work for those college teams in their analytics departments, other coaching staffs, things like that. I just want a solid process behind it at the end of the day, I, because then you can judge the process. You can say, yep, I, I see. I feel like Getz truly was a single decision maker. You can truly place the criticism or the praise on him when it comes time to start evaluating. And then you get to a point where, yeah, I, I understand what he was doing. There was a strategy behind it. I think we've all talked about it. Now comes the day of reckoning in time to come. And I really think that's the key. We can at least see a plan. Not that we know if it's going to work out. Obviously, we're White Sox fans. We've been beaten over the head multiple times with people who have plans. Obviously, a lot of us rode the Rick Hahn plans to the absolute end of the earth. You know, you still find that occasional Rick Hahn defender. It can go one of two ways. Either it's going to work or it's going to fail. But at least we see there's a plan in motion. It's not just kind of you know, throwing darts at the wall and whatever picture it lands on, that's the guy we're going to hire. Before we get to the next point, though, we have been joined by another Sox on 35th contributor in Maddie, Maddie Spaggs. Just kind of closing this out on this point, how do you feel about the hires? Do you think there's a good process in place? Again, I was telling Jordan this. I don't really know, like, uh, many people outside of the organization. Like, it's just so much to keep up. But, I mean, I feel like I'm just an optimistic person in general, so I'm excited about it. Um, I think the outside hire with the college coach was really great, but I mean, I don't know. Do we really trust what anyone does in this organization? Like, that's just kind of how I'm at. But like, I'm going to give everyone the benefit of the doubt. I say, uh, I just, I don't like how Pedro Grafal is still our manager when all of this is like going on. You know, everyone knows how I feel about him, you know? But I just, I I don't understand the logic behind that. You could hire anyone too. And like, I get it. Managers aren't the ones on the field, you know, producing everything. But I mean, how do we keep someone who had their first year 100 plus losses? You know, like how are you not, we can call him Mr. Clean Gets. Why is he not getting rid of that? You know, (laughs) but I don't know. I mean, I just feel like I'm very optimistic with it all. I'm glad to see that uh, we're not deciding if a manager is worth it or not by putting him in the batting box and just tossing him 100 fastballs right down the pipe and seeing if he can hit 30 of them. You know what I mean? Like, there's a process. It's not stupid. It kind of makes sense. Other teams do things similar. Will it work out? Probably not. We're Chicago White Sox fans. 
But anyway, um, kind of moving on to the next point here. Chris Getz, you know, we discussed about decisions he's made, both in the coaching side and the player side. Um, he kind of gave a little bit of insight um, regarding kind of people who are untouchable, whether that's some people, whether that's nobody. Um, you know, obviously a really interesting presser today. Um, he seemed a lot more blunt in his answers. It didn't seem like a whole lot of uh, word pasta. Um, but it sounds like besides Luis Robert, it's, uh, it's pretty open season if a team wanted to give us a pretty good deal at this point. Yeah, absolutely. And one thing I will say, too, for fans listening, once we discuss gets a little bit, we're going to be opening up to fan questions, comments, anything. We can kind of start talking as a full crew. So make sure to start putting your requests in and then we can manage those as we go. As far as these comments go today, I, I think I found a lot of interest in just some of the transparency. I know we all say there's transparency and it's like, well, what does that really mean? With Hot, it was like, all right, if you read closely enough between the lines, you can eventually get to kind of what he's basically saying. In this case, it was like, it was, I, I was almost caught off guard when he was like, yeah, I don't like this team. It's like, that that's very interesting to hear. Again, you, you don't want to fall into the trap just because it's someone different saying something different or saying something you like to hear that they're necessarily going to be the right person for the job, right? It's none of that has been proven yet. Games have not been played. Decisions have not been made about personnel being put on the field. So there's a long road before we really say, yep, feel good, feel not so great about Getz in terms of just purely what he's saying. I think the other big thing that he said was uh, in regards to Moncada and really moving him around the field. I think this is a team that is now in maybe some form or fashion, accepted the fact that you know, he's making $24 million this year. He's got a $25 million option next year. He could play well and probably still not earn that contract. So he becomes a sunk cost. You almost have to move him around, just figure out where they can fit him this year to say, hey, we're worried about the long term of this team. And we don't think you're likely a part of this, at least not for $25 million next year. So let's stick you at second, see if that helps, or stick you at first, see if that works, or just try and move him around and think through things differently for how the team is going to be constructed. Don't be basically don't be hamstrung by the fact that you're like, oh, Mokata is the third baseman, so we can't do X, Y, Z things to try somebody else at third base. I think that was something that was eye opening for me as well as just saying, hey, we might put him anywhere, second base, first base, outfield. I think that's the sort of outside the box thing that's refreshing but also shows yeah they're not necessarily beholden to just sticking him at third and calling it a day which is refreshing yeah i really like that because i've personally been somebody who's been calling for yo makata you know attempting to play second base again um obviously when we first tested that out when he first came up it, we had pretty disastrous results defensively but with how good he is at third base it's just it's hard to imagine he could be anything less than a above average defender at second base. And, you know, I'm with you, Jordan. I, I think, uh, I think you need to find ways to be able to get your guys on the field regardless. I almost wonder too, like he's making what 25 mil this year. There, there's just no way that they're going to be able to get that off the books. Um, but maybe you move him around in the field. I mean, this may be a long shot too, but maybe in the back of Getz's mind, he's saying, okay, we'll, we'll let Mankata Shaw some versatility maybe see if he can stay healthy and have a decent first half of the season. And then you can show off to other teams saying, look, he can 
fill in for second for you. He can fill in the outfield for you. Maybe like maybe he is a trade ship that you can just get something for um, midseason. You know, it, it it definitely doesn't sound like uh, like what Jordan said. Like they're they know he's kind of a sunk cost. They know that he's not on this team long term. Um, and they're just kind of trying to figure out how to deal with that for the 2024 season. And he, he did play better as the year went on last year. You know, the last two or three months, he he was an above average hitter, at least. It looked like maybe his back issues were starting to get better. But it, there's still no justifying that salary. And his club option for this year goes up even more than what he's making this year. So it's just figure out how to live with him in 2024 and you know move on. I think that gets pretty much made that pretty clear. Um, he also made some comments on Corey Lee and Oscar Colas that makes me think that he's not 100% sold on either of those guys as well. I know, especially with Oscar Colas, he he straight up said, like, yeah, he's probably going to need to spend more time in AAA. So um, news to White Sox fans, right field is still a hole on this team that we need to figure out as it has been for what feels like the last decade. I was high on Oscar Colas coming into this season. He's just too aggressive of a hitter and it's just hurting him at the major league level he really needs to get that figured out and I do agree with Guts that he does need more time in AAA but I'm starting to think that they don't see him as the long-term solution to right field and maybe I'm wrong but he he only played what not even half a season at the major league level I, I think it's too soon to write him off but I think you know he's a little older for a prospect. He's someone that is going to need to figure out very soon. And I think Getz is kind of saying that, like, if he doesn't get it figured out soon, we're going to, we're going to figure something else out. So I did think that was kind of interesting um, that he's really not committing to a guy like Colas, especially when Rakan very early last year, basically told everyone like, Nope, he is our right fielder on opening day. And sure enough, he was the opening day right fielder. So it's, you know, he, he's not afraid to make some changes. That's it, clear from his press conference. And, you know, we'll, we'll see how he shakes up the roster. But it definitely seems to me like, you know, he's he's obviously not sold on this roster. Yeah, the Colossi, I'm glad you mentioned it too, Michael. That, that was really weird to me. And I think you brought up exactly why. It's like, then who made the call last year to bring him up? Because, like, I don't think... Getz is turning around and saying, like, yeah, he's ready. And then, oh, just kidding, I was wrong. Like, was Getz telling Han he wasn't ready? And then Han was like, too bad, I don't have any money. Or too bad, I don't really care. Or, like, what what was the process that led to Polos being so hyped up? D- did Getz change his mind? Did he change his eval? Has he ever been high on him as a player, as a farm director? It, it's really weird when you look back and say, you know, how far Coas has fallen down in terms of being put on the pedestal of, oh yeah, he is. We feel very confident in him in the future, so on and so forth, to, yeah, he needs more time in AAA after spending most of the season in the minors. It's really weird to be like, well, what has Getz been thinking over the past year or so as the team's made decisions on Coas? And I think that's where... Like, I'd love to know more about some of those early 2022 conversations. Like, is he ready? Is he not? What was Getz saying? What did Han think? And how did they ultimately end up where they did with that? So I will go on the defense a little bit of Oscar Colas, just in the sense that 
if you go outside of the White Sox bubble and you kind of look around the league, these things happen, and they have happen fairly often. Sometimes a prospect just gets called up a hair too early, and it just doesn't end up working out. Um, I think Oscar Colas needs to really focus on spring training and really showing up potentially in the you know in the best shape of his life, ready to play some of the best baseball in his life. Because you know, while I think the the clock is ticking, I think they're going to do a full evaluation before they make a rash decision, especially on a lot of the farm players in the system. You know, I especially when you look at what we loaded up on at the deadline this past year, I think there's going to be a lot of chances for these guys to prove it. Because you know, in, in all honesty unless we make some crazy trade or we go uh, into free agency and really take a shot at somebody to go play right field. Like you said, it is, uh, it's pretty open. It's, it's wide open, but um, I I wouldn't mind if, if Chris gets ready to just bring somebody in serviceable to at least bring in the camp to show that like, Hey, this is a guy that we know can start um, and not, and give us at least a little bit of a plus in right field. It doesn't need to be a world breaker by any sense of the imagination, but potentially something to just give everybody on on the roster notice, like, hey, the right field spot's open. We have a guy who we can take into the opening day. Who's going to come take this job? Yeah, I love the comments about Colas. I love the mentality of not not handing these guys the job. I mean, as far as I'm concerned, unless your name is Luis Robert or Dylan Cease, you need to earn your spot on this team. And I think that's part of what went wrong with this whole thing, which was, we were giving guys jobs before they earned it. We were paying them before they played a major league game. We were giving. We were afraid to sign free agents, establish major league players, because we didn't want to block somebody who we thought would be coming in a year or two. So I, I'm done with that, man. I, I'm ready to make all of these guys earn their job and make it clear that if you don't play well, you're out of here and you can find somewhere else to play. So I'm not saying... You know, I've given up on Oscar Colas or any of those guys. I, I give him the chance to to earn that right field job. But, you know, if he's going to come up and struggle again, like, they may need to consider moving on. And it might be tough to give up on some of these guys, especially for Get. you know, as a former farm director, he, he developed these guys and had a hand potentially in drafting them. And it may be tough for him to give up on these guys, but it might be necessary if you want to win. Yeah, it's all about making the tough decisions, and I think it's been clear that Chris Getz has no unwillingness to be able to do that. So at the end of the day, we need guys who are up here, who are hungry, who are ready to take that spot, and who are ready to show that all those years in development were worth something, you know, because I think the rest of all of MLB has got to be watching that as well because obviously they're going to be looking at guys that they want to pick out of our farm system because it seems like we're turning a new leaf. But speaking of turning a new leaf, I think this is a good point to get to some fan questions, comments, whatever you guys want to say. Obviously, just keep her clean. Let's see who we've got requested to talk here. If anybody wants to jump in or anything like that, this is definitely your time to uh, hit that request button. Um, we're going to have a list. We'll you know just be patient, let some people talk, and uh, yeah, we'll get rolling with our first one here. So the, my main takeaway from the Getz presser is um, I've had this take from starting to do off-season plans. I, I think one idea I've had in mind is trading Colos uh, and Aaron Bummer's money to raise for Jose Siri. Jose Siri, his baseball savant page, it proves he's really more of a uh, full-on power defense right fielder. He 
doesn't have the contact skills he had in Houston. He doesn't have the some of the speed he had in Houston, not the guys that the Rays were trading for a few years ago. And I think that maybe Oscar Colas has this has a swing that the people over in Tampa are going to say, hey, we can work with. I think the Rays historically aren't going to trade for relievers. They'll trade away relievers. I, I think their bread and butter is not spending money on the bullpen, which sh- should uh, could shock a lot of Sox fans in terms of not spending on a bullpen. Um, this is all aside of my own personal Aaron Bummer feelings that I will keep out of this. I think it, it, the idea that um, it's, a, it's a defensive first play with some upside in terms of the bat, I think there are other ways the White Sox go around doing it. It's certainly been a name that I think a lot of Sox fans have pointed out. I think there are other ways for them to address what Siri brings other than trading those two. But and I do think the Rays would have some issue with feeling six million a year for Bummer. You know, yeah, he might be great, but we don't typically like spending that amount of money in the bullpen. Um, I could I could be wrong, but I do think looking at it in a whole, I think the the player they're getting in return is more so addressable elsewhere with other free agents. But it's an interesting thought, absolutely. And like I said, I think it's a name that a lot of Sox fans have pointed out. All right, so it looks like we're going to be getting another request. Obviously, Jordan had to at least mention his love of Aaron Bummer, you know, openly and proudly, as he usually does. Um, I think it would be beautiful if the Tampa Bay Rays were to take on that contract. But also... If we did trade Aaron Bummer to the Rays, we would have to constantly listen to Jordan talk about and scream from every rooftop about how right he was because they would probably turn him into one of the best closers in baseball, if not one of the best back-end relievers in baseball. you got to do a podcast with me every week. I'd bring it up every single week without fail, just so you're aware. Dude, I literally have a list in my desk drawer right next to me full of my argument for Aaron Bummer when we decide to have that discussion. <laughs> It's going to be a nuclear bomb whenever that ends up happening. So just be prepared because I am going to tear down every single talking point you ever made about him because Aaron Bummer is awful and the only team that can save him is the Rays. It's really nice of you to think that about your arguments. I appreciate that. Maddie, I know you hate Aaron Bummer as much as I do. Please help me here. This isn't my hatred towards Aaron Bummer, but this is more like going into... uh like the off-season uh, trades and like um, what's coming up with the free agency, I'm not like 100% like familiar with prospects and stuff like that. But why would we get rid of like valuable players for like prospects? It's hard to have a discussion about that in the short term, but obviously in the long term, um, I think you look at some of the trades we made at the deadline and we traded for some of the former top prospects in baseball, hoping that we can be the ones to fix them. I think that's really where the benefit goes. And um, I think even Rick Hahn at the end knew that even if he did find a way to somehow keep his job, that this was eventually the direction this team was going to have to go anyway. So I I understand the idea of being able to do something like that. But we are going to have another speaker here, and uh, we'll keep her rolling. Nicholas, go right ahead. It ain't going to matter how good the coach is. If we jam doesn't draft very well or buying good international free agent signings is here lately. He's been whipping a lot from the previous GM on trying to find talent. 
besides Colson Montgomery, what else Han had made last few years that they hey, he hit on this guy, maybe. I think there are some people, I think this is what, when the White Sox originally promoted Getz, I think what a lot of people said was, you know, there are some people who just aren't good at evaluating minor league talent that are fine at doing it at the major level. I think it's two very different worlds. One is based a lot on projections based on being a 16, 19-year-old, and some projections are based on how you were in your mid-20s and then just trying to judge based off an aging curve. So I think that's where I guess I feel, if you're looking for optimism based on knowing the fact that, you know, the Sox haven't had a ton of great talent come through the farm system, there is one, and I think two, at the end of the day, it's a team effort in terms of who gets drafted. It's always hard. Who decided on this guy? Like, who is really pushing hard? Like, no matter whether it's Han or Getz, the GM's really never going directly to do the scouting. There's a lot that has to happen before a GM really shows up to scout a guy, if they ever do. So it's a whole team process there, and that's where the hope is, you know, Getz came in and restructured that process to help him out. And then, yes, of course, to your point, let's hope he's better on the free agent market at the major league level. So we looks- have Drew Boggs next, and should be a re- in here. So, Drew, if you can... Hear us and you're unmuted. Go ahead. Yeah, I can hear you guys. Thanks for uh, letting me join in. My biggest concern going into this offseason is the entire pitching staff, not just the bullpen, um, but especially starting pitching. I know everyone wants to trade Dylan Cease and get prospects for him or even get other good players, but if Dylan Cease is gone, then Tuki Toussaint is the ace. Michael Kopech's in the bullpen. That's really, I think, the biggest concern is um, – whether they're, no one else is uh, saved on this roster, I think the biggest move that this team has to make is to get really good starting pitching because, as we've seen in the playoffs, starting pitching will uh, take you really far and get you to the World Series. Um, but I think then that concerns the development of Andrew Vaughn. I think if many White Sox fans have been saying, just trade Dylan Cease, um, trade Andrew Vaughn, and just start from scratch around Luis Robert, well, I think it's going to get even worse um, if you just cut the development of Andrew Vaughn. Um, so it's kind of a two-parter. What do you guys think we should do pitching-wise? Should we trade C? Should we just re-sign players? Um, thankfully, Mike Clevenger is gone, um, regardless of how you feel about how he pitched. I'm glad that person's gone. But uh, And then do you think it's really time to cut bait on Andrew Vaughn um, at first base? Uh, I can touch on the pitching staff a little bit. I am totally with you, man. I am very, very concerned. I have no idea what they're going to do next year. I think we've all kind of gotten around the fact that the team's probably not going to be great next year, but even if that's the case, you still need pitchers to start games. So um, I know they do have a couple prospects that are probably pretty close. I think we'll see Nick Nestrini at some point next year, um, potentially Christian Mena, um, Davis Martin will be back probably midseason. So I'm guessing we'll see some innings from those guys, but there's no question they are going to have to hit free agency and regarding your question about trading Cease, it would be a great haul, but I just can't, I just don't see how you can do that right now with how thin you are in the pitching staff. And maybe maybe some of these other folks here disagree with me and they think that they should trade Cease, but I'm already concerned with Cease, and without him, I, I it just makes me even more nervous. I mean, you're looking at it right now. You've got Cease and Kopech. That's two starters. You need three starters to even get to a full rotation. 
and you've got some other teams that are, you know, seven, eight deep in their pitching staff, that's really where you would like to be because you know you're not going to have five starters that stay healthy the entire season. So there's no question there's a lot of work to be done. I think starting pitching should be the number one priority for the offseason. I'm with both of you. I don't think that, you know, trading Dylan C should be a top priority. Now, I that being said, I do also agree with Getz's philosophy that he'll pick up the phone if teams want to shoot him an offer. I, I think that that should always be the philosophy for any GMs. You should at least hear out what other teams have to say. Um, Now, their asking price should be absolutely sky high. Um, You know, I'm, I'd be looking at a team like the Orioles or the Diamondbacks and asking for, you know, they have some of the best prospects in baseball. It, if we're not getting one of those, then I don't think it's worth trading Cease. But honestly, with or without Dylan Cease... We're probably going to be hitting the free agent market anyways for starting pitching. Um, you know, Noah mentioned a couple guys um, who are internal options as well. Nick Nestrini, who is pretty damn close to MLB ready. Honestly, I wouldn't be shocked if he started the season as our fifth starter. Um, I, he might benefit from a little more time in AAA, but he is someone that could definitely be an option. Um, Christian Mina, he started the season in AAA last year too, but he's also only 20 years old. I... I think that they're better off uh, letting him get some more minor league pitching in. Um, also, He also mentioned Davis Martin, who will be ready. Um, another one um, is Garrett Crochet. I mean, they, they've always said that the plan was eventually to transition him back to the rotation. I mean, we don't have many options, so maybe now is the time to do that just by default. Um, I would like to see him you know, at least get a multi-ending role this year. Um, just to start stretching out his arm. But in general, we are going to have to add pitching at some point. Um, also, to your point about Andrew Vaughn, um, I'm, I'm back and forth on that one personally. Now, if we're talking about what I would do as a GM, Reese Hoskins is available in the free agent market. I'd rather have him over Andrew Vaughn. Um, but as it stands, adding a guy like Reese Hoskins doesn't make much sense for this roster. And we don't really know what Andrew Vaughn's trade value is right now anyways. I mean, how much do it does a team really want a first baseman who's been an average hitter? I mean, we don't really know what his trade value is right now. It, I can't imagine it's sky high. So and he he's been he he's not the problem with this team. Is he the best part of this team? No, but he hasn't necessarily been an issue. So Maybe we just leave that as is. I don't know. Again, there's another one though. I do if the team is interested in him, I would pick up. Yeah, I love the point about Garrett Crochet, but my other worry about that is he's just coming off Tommy John surgery, and then the perfect example of going from the bullpen to a starter is Michael Kopech, who is also coming off an injury, also coming off not even playing the 2020 season, went to the bullpen, and that's really my concern with Garrett Crochet is he's coming off Tommy John, so he's already going to be on an innings limit, and then what he pitches four innings. Not that I don't like your point, Michael, but I think that's my biggest concern is that the unknown of his arm right now is just scary and suspect of, is he on innings limit? Is he going to be good to start the season? I know he went back on the shelf right after he debuted. So that's also a big concern that I would say. I think the big thing for me with, to touch on one guy that, that we mentioned was ceases, you know, you got two years left on his deal. What's your plan? Like, do you think you're competing this year or next? If you are, then probably keep him. If not, 
it's kind of like the Tim Anderson thing with, with a little bit less clear of a bridge. But I don't care who plays shortstop this year for the White Sox. It's someone that's going to be there until Colson Montgomery is ready. If the White Sox are deciding that, you know, they're not competing right now, then trade Delancey's. Get something for him. At, I, I don't care who pitches then. Just give some young guy the chance to prove himself. Because you're not trying to compete, so what does it matter if Delancey's is on the team? They just have to be a little bit more transparent, and I think that's, if we're talking about a lack of transparency, um, or transparency or whatever, when it comes to Gats, it's like, what's your plan? I don't know what the plan is. I think they've mentioned, like, need to improve on defense, need to do um, the, the little things right in terms of allowing pitching to be able to attack in the zone. That all sounds good, but you can do all of that without being a good team. So what's, what is your ultimate plan? I think that dictates to me whether or not they move a guy like Six, personally. You really have to consider about if he needs to get, like, we wait till... The trade deadline to see if he has a better bounce back year because right now his value is even lower than what it was at the trade deadline when they were trying to get Jackson Holiday. So from the Orioles, well, yeah, I just I don't think that was ever going to happen though. I I think that's just if we were going to trade him at that time, then yeah, let's trade him and get Jackson Holiday. But if not, reassessing the off season, you know, I, I think a team like the Diamondbacks are a great example of a team that might be more willing to make that sort of a move now. Because they really didn't think they were going to make it to the playoff, or excuse me, to the World Series, much less be competitive there. And then they had the bullpen a game because they ran out of starters, and it's like, man, well, we probably should have planned to be here, even though we didn't think we were going to be here. But now the Diamondbacks are a team who probably wasn't in the mix that seriously for cease the deadline, that is now more seriously in the mix here too. I think Baltimore is another good example. You know their way of doing it did not work at all for what their plans were for this year. Now, if it means you got to pony up a little more and not prospect hugs so much, that's what you got to do. Well, I think what makes it difficult, especially when it comes to Cease, because I think that's a really good topic as far as, you know, guys being moved. You really have to look at what is it like evaluation for other teams is right now. Um, obviously, Dylan had a little bit of a tough run in the season, really had a tough season overall. Um, still showed glimpses of a guy who finished, you know, in in the final voting for Cy Young, but also showed somebody who, you know, we've seen early on in his career, and that's that's consistency. Very, very inconsistent with Dylan Cease at certain points. The talent's there, but I really think Getz can hedge his bet here and try to get Cease to show a little bit of what he was in, you know, 2022. In the, into this season, even if it's like a month into this season, I think you're about. I think teams are going to get a little bit more willing to, you know, dish out prospects for a guy like that because he's showing that he's go, having a little bit of a run and could potentially bring that to a team that's ready to win now. And you know, Baltimore just makes the most sense in that situation because they just have such an abundance of the farm system. And honestly, them losing as soon as they did in the playoffs really benefits the idea that they could really spend big on prospects to bring in a guy like Dylan Cease as that, you know, true ace of their staff or Gets could treat him now at his current value. You know, I think, I think you really have to look at the idea of being able to hedge your bet though, because I think having guys perform well on a team that still might be bad, that shows teams that are actually, you know, serious about winning baseball games, unlike us would be willing to dish out to get a guy like that on their team and really trying to make a run. 
Um, but we do have another speaker here. Uh, Brendan, the floor is yours, my friend. I know you've requested a couple times. Uh, glad to have you on. Yeah, thank, thanks for letting me uh, talk, guys. So I was just going to make one. I, know, I missed the beginning. I think you guys already talked about Tim Anderson. Um, but I was just going to make one comment on the declining the TA uh, option. Um, you know, you watch the playoffs every year. And the common thing you see is what? You see really good pitching uh, and you see home runs on offense, right? So I don't know about everyone else. I don't know what the conversation was, but I really don't mind them declining the TA option. He provided a lot of great moments in a White Sox uniform. Um, and I'm not saying he was a bad player. He was a very good player for, you know, probably over half of the time he was with us, but he just never really showed much power. And in the playoffs, you you know you just watch these these playoff games, and it's the teams that are winning are constantly hitting home runs. But the one question I had for you guys, um, Getz made some comments today about Moncada playing uh, different positions. I think I saw. Um, I think he mentioned maybe playing Moncada at second base, first base, and even in the outfield. I kind of thought that was strange, considering you know the one valuable thing he's given us over the last two years is a really good glove at third base. So I just wanted to see what you guys thought of that and if you think that's actually you know plausible for him to be playing other positions. Yeah, it's a good question. We talked about it a little bit because it is a very interesting thing to just come out and say. I don't know the exact question that was asked that inspired that question, but it's certainly an interesting response. I think overall, it's it seems like an acceptance of the fact that, yes, he's here. He's getting paid $24 million this year, but there's no guarantee after that. It's a club option. It would be very hard for him to earn that $25 million option next year, even if he played really well. That all being said, now you got to start planning for the future. Just sticking him at third and calling it a day and being like, well, he's not here next year, and we didn't do anything to get ourselves closer to finding that next option at third base then you kind of see yourself in a bad situation. Maybe it's Brian Ramos. Maybe it's a free agent they're planning to bring in. I don't know. But moving Moncada around and showing the willingness to do so says, you know, he's probably not part of the 2025 team, at least at a $25 million contract. So let's start thinking about what it's going to mean when his contract comes off the books, who plays third base, who's taking that role, things like that, which I think is a good place to be for Gats instead of just saying, yep, we're going to stick him there and then see what happens. Because that's not a great strategy. You kind of know he's not worth $25 million next year. Well, I think you really have to look at the idea. You know, I'm really glad you brought up Brian Ramos, Jordan. This past week, he's been absolutely crushing the baseball for anybody who has been following the Fall League, um, including hitting a walk-off Grand Slam the other night. He is somebody that really needs to be considered once we get to spring training. He is somebody who has just absolutely crushed it at every level in the, in the minors. You know, obviously he's somebody that they see as a potential key at third base. I really think the idea of moving Mankata is to try to see what we have at different positions. Like we really need to see what this farm is before we can get a full view of what Chris Guest wants to do with it. So like, I really see this upcoming season as a true evaluation, you know, and I think that's why we're seeing a guy like Yo Mankata, which we already know what he is at third base, but we, you know, like you said, Jordan, we also know that he's probably not going to be here for the long haul because he just flat out hasn't played up to his contract. You know, feel about that as you will. We need to see what other people can do at these positions. We need to get people reps. You know, do we see a Lenin Sosa play a little bit of third base? You know, obviously we've seen him play a little bit of the mid, uh, middle infield. I believe he played some games at third, whether it was defensive replacement or not. Um, you know, we need to be able to really get a full grasp of what we have 
Um, and we can't allow players who we don't think are going to be here in the long term kind of hinder that. So I think that plays into it. And it, it's, it also works out because, you know, Yohan Mankata really hasn't been great over the past few years, and he hasn't been healthy. So we, we need to be able to see what, what else is on the roster. Great question. I think we're going to go to, as we're starting to wrap up here, Luis Robert Jr. is the GOAT. Hey. What's on your mind? How are you guys? Good. Can't complain. That's good. I have a question. So obviously, you, you guys know the Orioles need pitching. Would you be down to trade Cease to the Orioles? Yeah. I So the teams I think make the most sense are the Orioles, the Diamondbacks, and actually the Cardinals. Mm-hmm. The Cardinals have a ton of good young middle infielders that they're not going to be able to put everywhere. And they also have a new, well, not new pitching philosophy, but an updated pitching philosophy where they finally realized, hey, sinker ballers or guys that get ground balls, that's just not going to work in today's game. And building a staff around them, that just doesn't work. So they need more, and they have come out and said they need more flamethrower type guys. Mm-hmm. That being said... On top of sort of their farm system, where things are at, and also their desire to consistently win, the Cardinals don't rebuild. That's the third team that makes sense. I think the D backs and the Orioles have been discussed a ton. The third team for me would end up being the Cardinals. And then I have another question, too. Yeah. Go ahead. So obviously, they declined Tim's option. Do you still think that Colson's the option or like a Paul DeYoung IKF type player? I would imagine there's still a bridge in between the two. Okay. Um, I, I, I'll let the prospect guy, Michael, touch on both your first question and your second question in regards to this. Okay. But I do think there is still probably a bridge between um, Montgomery and Tim Anderson of some sort. Okay. Yeah, I, I can jump in real quick here. Um, so for Montgomery, my, my sense is the Sox think he's going to be ready sometime in 2024. I don't think it's opening day. Okay. He only played half the season at double A not less than half the season, really a double A of uh, this past season. He he missed a lot of the, the first half of the season due to injuries. And then he started out, you know, playing in Heidi Winston-Salem and then went to double A. So he doesn't have a ton of time above single A level. So, and he, he played really good at double A. And I think that he's going to be, if he doesn't start in triple A, he's going to be up in triple A very shortly. I think that they're eyeing maybe mid-2024, mid to later 2024 for him. So I do think you're going to need a transition player in the meantime. So you are probably going to end up, unless they really want to give Lenny and Sosa a shot, start the season, which I, I'm not sold on that being the uh, the route that they go this season. Um, I do think that they're going to get some sort of transition shortstop in there. Um, and then back to your first question with, uh, with trading Cease. I mean... I touched on it earlier too. Um, you answer the call. You answer phone calls for Dylan Cease, but you you really have to be blown away. You have two years of control with him. Now he is a Scott Boris client, so you probably only have two years left with Cease. So that is why you, I I do think you pick up the call or pick up the phone for that. And I'm I completely agree with Jordan. Those top two teams that I'd be looking at are the Orioles and the Diamondbacks. Um, obviously we all want Jackson holiday. We're not going to get Jackson holiday unless Dylan Cease turns back into a Cy Young candidate this first half of the season. And we trade him at the deadline. I just don't see that happening. But I mean, for the Orioles, if we, if, you know, they're offering someone like Kobe Mayo plus more or for the Diamondbacks, I mean, maybe this is a bit of a stress, but a guy like Jordan Lawler, I mean, they, they seem to have something at shortstop. 
um, blocking Lawler there. So if he becomes expendable, that's something that I would strongly consider. Um, now, as we talked about before, that puts even more of a hole in our rotation than there already is. But if a team if a team like that is willing to blow you away with an offer, I, I don't think that you hang up the phone. <laughs> I also saw uh, Coloss like posted on his story today going to Planet Fitness, and that made me laugh. At least well, he's working. <laughs> I was gonna say I I made a comment earlier about uh you know him needing to come to camp or come to spring training in like the best shape of his life. So you know hopefully he skips the pizza Fridays, but I appreciate the effort. Yeah, I also remember like. Rookie year, Robert would always post in his story, go to like Pizza Hut or something. I think it was Domino's. Domino's yeah. is like his favorite food in the history of the world. Like I, did, I mean, I mess with Domino's if it's a cheap pizza night or something like that. But I don't know. Luis takes it to another level. It's kind of like uh, Chad Johnson with McDonald's. You know what I mean? But um, just my final thoughts as far as like the C thing goes, because there's a team out there that I think we really haven't discussed. They were actually just competing for World Series. And it's a team that has shown, you know, zero quarrels about really going all in. I think the Philadelphia Phillies could potentially be that uh, kind of sleeper team that could take a shot to really go in on uh, Dylan Cease. Um, I know Carlos De La Cruz is sitting over there. Mick Abel and Griff McGarry as well. If they uh, don't want to wait for those guys to develop, those are so two really big arms as far as the pipeline goes. Um, and you know, if you look over on Philly media, they are already kind of starting the discussion about how they could find a way to get Dylan Cease. So, um, you know, you really, you have to look at those competing teams as well. You know, Philly has shown obviously that they're willing to go all in, you know, starting with the Bryce Harper signing and really, you know, a lot of the bad signings, a lot of the great signings that have panned out since, um, you got to look at those teams as well. If the Phillies are calling you to try to steal every freaking prospect that they're probably going to trade at the deadline anyway. So I think that's a, a bit of a sleeper. But I really think that's all we've got, you know, for our first Sox on 35th space. Um, I think this went really well. Uh, we really do appreciate the fan interactions. If you guys didn't know, if this is your first time listening to us, uh, we do have a podcast as well, uh, the Sox on 35th podcast. Be sure to subscribe on Spotify, Apple, iTunes, wherever you listen to uh podcasts we're there every week during the season obviously it's going to slow down a little bit as we go here also you know be sure to check out everybody that has been included in this um jordan lazowski michael suero noah phelan uh maddie spagnola um a lot of great people that work over here at socks on 35th we definitely appreciate having them on the show or having them on the space i guess is a better way to put it i'm trying not to sound like a 90s freaking uh game show host right now but genuinely, we really appreciate the support. Hopefully, this is something we're going to do a little bit more moving forward. We might even get this on uh, podcast form, but uh, we're going to look into that. Also, be sure to check out SocksOn35th.com. Uh, a lot of the questions that were asked, we actually uh, have covered in articles, um, especially uh, we're going to be covering a lot of the fall league. Uh, Michael does a really good job covering the minor leagues. And uh, probably a good time to get familiar with some of those names because going into spring training, those are a lot of guys who will probably be competing four spots especially if we have a fairly quiet off season as far as trades and free agency goes but i appreciate having uh everybody being on here and uh go socks i guess that's the best way i can close it go socks everyone thanks again for joining uh appreciate all the fan interaction and appreciate all the support <laughs>